Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. I finally have retro RGB t-shirts up for sale. Wes from Second Opinion Games had made me some pretty cool designs over the years, but the last one that he did generated a lot of interest, and a lot of people were asking me if they could buy one, and now you can. So we have the link down below to Teespring, and we're going to keep that one up for a while, but we also have some fun, silly other ideas that we're going to be doing limited runs of um, but for now, if you're interested, check out the link. Uh, I would absolutely love to be walking down the street and seeing somebody in a retro RGB t-shirt uh, spreading the awesome retro goodness around to everybody. But anyway, link's down below if you're interested, and let's jump in the news. I'm going to start out with a quick correction from last week. Uh, last week I talked about the CPS2 digital interface that Frank, the creator of the Sentinel Supergun, had just listed. Um, I had told the story about how I came up with this idea, and it turned out I didn't come up with the idea at all. Uh, Mike, the creator of the Home Arcade Supergun, has already come up with this idea, and on top of that, he's already listed the part up for uh, the design files for free up on OSH Park. So, um, you know, I, I should have known that smarter people would have come up with this idea before me. Uh, my apologies for accidentally trying to, to steal the idea and say it was mine. But I am not apologizing to Frank for asking him to do a design because it turns out that his is slightly different than Mike's. Um, I have Frank's here. The, some of the parts came in. I'm still waiting on the rest of it. Um, but the designs are slightly different. They use different power supply connectors. Uh, which means that I guarantee that a bunch of people will look at these two designs and some will think one is right for their needs and others will think the other is right for theirs. So, um, as always, I love choices and I'm, I'm happy that there's two different ways to go about the same thing. Um, thank you very much to both Frank and Mike for their work on this stuff. And, of course, to Smoke Monster for, uh, for always helping me with the arcade things. And um, I have updated the post. I will leave uh, the old link with the updates in it down below. And just order and choose whichever one fits your needs best. And hopefully by this time next week, I'll have two completed ones that I can show everybody. And in fact, I think I have the wrong type of connectors on mismatched board whatever you'll see some finished versions of it next week uh and hopefully as soon as i get a hold of that uh hdmi kit for the cps2 i'll have a video on these things showing the whole thing in uh showing the whole thing in action and how it works next professor abrasive posted a long list of details regarding the saturn optical drive emulator project um i'm not going to go through all of them because there's a ton but he's basically just confirming the fact that it's a device that sits in where the MPEG card goes. You could shut the door with this in, so from the outside it looks like a perfectly stock Saturn. Um, and uh, the only thing at the moment that's kind of stuck out is he said um, all games will run at the original speed. And he might have a turbo option or something so that uh, you could speed it up if the game will allow. 
because I believe in his testing, some games, when you tried to speed up loading times, they got errors. So I was certainly hoping for a way to skip the very long load times of certain Saturn games, but either way, um, I'm just looking forward to getting one, regardless of the loading time. Uh, anyone who is a Patreon subscriber will get first dibs on buying it, so if you like this thing as much as I do, definitely sign up for his Patreon, and... Uh, I will let everybody know the moment they're ready to actually purchase, whether it's just for Patreon subscribers or for everybody. Retrobit has once again reminded us that with all of the innovation and amazing things coming out of CES, uh, for every one of those, there's two or three polished turds in the background that may or may not be vaporware. Uh, this one is a portable Genesis that's made to look like a Nomad, obviously meant to drive sales just by looking like something nostalgic. Um, and it's got a 16 by 9 inch screen. Uh, there were actually a few handhelds shown off at CES that play 4 by 3 games in 16 by 9, which drives me insane. Um, you know, I, if you have that TV at your house and you choose to stretch it, that's up to you. That's fine. But when you're making a product, could you at least think before you do things like this? I just... Could they not get a 4x3 screen? Are all the, the tons and tons of choices out there not, not good enough? So, yeah, this is obviously something I will be avoiding like the plague. I'm glad Ronnie wrote it up uh, just so we could all laugh at it together. But, you know, it's, once again, it's not that I'm trying to be an elitist that always wants the best. I just, how much would it have cost them to just do a little bit better of a job? I mean, we're, we can't be talking more than a few dollars difference and if that equates to 10 more dollars will that really mean it's a product that not that won't sell so yeah i just i wish more companies would just take a few small steps to try to make things not suck so much you know perfection's one thing we all could chase our own view of what that might be with these retro consoles but how about make something that doesn't suck 8BitDo has just announced a controller that's specifically designed to be used with the Switch Online games, meaning the Virtual Console or whatever they're going to be calling them now. Um, and it's $25, uh, it's Bluetooth, and it, uh, it's shaped like their NES 30 controller, but with a separate home button built in. So um, I'm not sure if this one's for everybody, but it certainly looks like a neat way to play those virtual console games if that's what you choose. And uh, unlike what I just talked about, the retro bit, um, I've always had good experiences with Nintendo's virtual console, uh, Nintendo and SNES games. Yeah, the filtering is better on some than others. Yes, there's, I think, two frames of lag or something like that. But as far as overall experience goes, you're not going to ruin the experience. And having a controller like that might actually make it a little more fun because it feels a little bit more retro. So, yeah, uh, as long as there's not too much lag introduced with the Bluetooth protocol, then this should be a decent choice. A developer of classic video game soundtracks has released his custom music tools for free for anybody that wants to create their own games for the platform. Um, he has released Mucom 88 on GitHub, which is a suite of tools that were meant for creating music on the NEC PC88 series computers. So um, while I'm not familiar with this stuff directly, I, I do love the whole concept of when you're done with something, just give it away. Um, and I think this is something that really should apply on all levels. You know, obviously Apple's not going to just give away all of the design files for the iPhone 1, because I'm sure that still applies to stuff that they're working on now. But once things get past a certain point, I really do hope everybody just open sources whatever they've been working on. 
Um, if nothing else, it's great for historical purposes, but for stuff like this, uh, now we could use those tools to create some kind of pretty cool soundtrack for anybody who wants to make their own custom homebrew uh, audio tracks for games. This one was kind of unexpected and pretty awesome. Daniel Piscina of Mortal Kombat fame paid tribute to the MK Plus project, which is a project I've been following for quite some time and started out as MK2 Plus, which is one person, Paul Eicher's goal to fix every tiny little bug inside Mortal Kombat 2, as well as bring back some of the things the developers didn't have time to finish and add a whole bunch of other cool stuff. The developer Paul has extended this project to Mortal Kombat 1 and Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. Um, and this is something that I'm really looking forward to checking out. Uh, in the MK2 Plus project, you could even flash it to ROMs and play it on original hardware. And it's kind of neat because when you boot up to the main interface, you could turn features on or off. So essentially with one set of ROMs, you could play Mortal Kombat 2 or the advanced version just by turning on features. So this is very awesome and something I'm very happy to see. And it's so cool to see Daniel Piscina behind this and, uh, and, and showing his respect because uh, the project, the game, and everything around it is something that certainly um, means a lot to me. I love all of these games. And MK1, I think, will always be my favorite fighting game of all time. So uh, anybody that wants to support the project, uh, Mortal Kombat Plus uh, com is the website, and you could donate through PayPal, and I believe there might even be uh, a Patreon as well. Um, I think I donated on, uh, I think I donated via PayPal, but I should sign up for the Patreon too, because it's such an awesome project, and uh, it's something that I really want to see for all of those games. Uh, in fact, now I have to hunt down an MK2 set just to be able to load up the newest version of MK2+. So if anybody's got a spare MK2 board set, please let me know. Vertech just posted a Twitter update showing his project for his Neo Geo FPGA core that could possibly even be ported over to the Mr. Platform. Uh, and it looks like he's making progress, and it's not quite there yet. That um, might be something that requires a bigger SDRAM module than the one that's currently being used with the Mr. Platform, or it might not. That kind of remains to be seen. But I just wanted to give a quick status update, and I wanted to remind everybody that uh, while Furtech has a Patreon, uh, Patreon account, he also only charges people when there's a large update. So this kind of alleviates some of the stress of, you know, if you have a few months where you just don't have time to get anything done, none of your Patreon subscribers are charged. So uh, if you're looking for Mr. FPGA Neo Geo Core support, consider supporting Furtech and know that, um, you know, you're not going to get charged unless there's a, a bigger update. But personally, I don't really care. I'd love to just support his projects anyway. And even if some months there's huge updates and others there really isn't, it's fine with me. Uh, I'm a huge fan of his work, so hopefully, maybe, we could see Neo Geo on the Mr. Platform. But once again, as I spoke about a few weeks ago, we could really, really use some forks in the project for anybody that wants to take up the, the pretty big responsibility, which I think is really the only reason it hasn't happened yet. We really could use somebody focusing on uh, the adapter board being JAMA-based, uh, at least small group of people focusing on SCART or uh, even just like a mini DIN 8 but focused around RGB gaming. And then, of course, just the basic HDMI-only project, uh, which 
you know, no, uh, no pun intended, the, the core group of people will always be working on. So uh, if anybody wants to step up to the plate that has experience with this stuff, please let, let anybody know, because I'd really love to see this project continue down that same path, but also have both heavily focused uh, sections to JAMA and to RGB gaming. Some of the Sonic Mania developers have just posted videos and a demo of a Darkwing Duck demo that they had done. I guess they had pitched it to try to get the game made in the same style as Sonic Mania, using NES-type graphics, and uh, for the demo they even used the original NES music, but I guess the idea got shot down, so they released the demo to the public. It's kind of a short video and a cool story for anybody that wants to listen, um, or if you just want to play the demo, check out the link in, I believe, uh, the middle YouTube video's description, and you'll be able to get the link to the, uh, I was about to say ROM, but it is a PC and Mac demo only. Um, but either way, it's pretty neat, and I kind of wish they made the game. Someone just posted the steps that they took to restore a Fantasy Star map, so the physical paper map. And it was kind of neat to see because they took the same painstaking attention to detail that any restoration might be. Whether it's a classic car, a classic electronics, or I guess even uh, classic documents that you want to preserve. And it's pretty neat because I'd never seen anybody walk through this process before. What I have seen that I absolutely love is when people take things like this. Um, they do many scans of them. They try to scan multiple different copies uh, in case damage is different in one than the other. And then they kind of put them all together and use a photo editing program like Photoshop or GIMP to restore it that way. And to kind of, what you end up getting is a pretty mint condition, brand new looking restoration of it. So it's not original and uh, it's not what this person did. I think that this is equally as awesome, but I believe that's what that Super Metroid poster back there is. Um, somebody took the original one, uh, scanned a couple copies in, and then cleaned it up so that it would look good on, uh, you know, look good for reprints. So I like both of those, uh, both of those methods. I just think that uh, stuff like this, where somebody takes the time to, to take the original and do something like this, should be framed and appreciated, whereas the reprint work uh, should be the opposite. You should use it like the old school maps. Fold it up. You know, uh, when you're done with it, don't be super careful because you know that you'd be able to print another one and just enjoy it for what it is. So uh, it's kind of cool to see all of these different things. And uh, I, I wish the person had done a video on it because I think that would have been a pretty cool thing for us to watch. But uh, check it out if you're interested. There's now a 3D case available to order from MrAddons.com. Um, for some reason, in some browsers, the full post doesn't show up. You just see the link here. In others, you get the whole ad. I don't know what that's all about. I'm sorry. I'm sure I posted it wrong. But the uh, point is, if you own a Mr. FPGA kit, you're now able to order 3D printed cases for both the HDMI only and the one with the full I.O. board. Um, that comes in a few different choices of colors. The only color combination it didn't come with was one that I was really hoping for with a black case, but a glow-in-the-dark front and back. Because, I mean, how often do we have to fumble around for wires in a dimly lit room? Even just a little bit of the glow so you could see the orientation of the cable or something would be nice. But whatever, I'm still looking forward to getting mine. Um, I think they're back-ordered a bit. So um, I'll, you know, I'll slap mine together and post a picture on Twitter once I get it. But I definitely appreciate having some kind of case for it. Because I just, uh, I've been having mine exposed and sitting out there and something eventually is going to drop on there and short a contact. So it's nice to have a protective case for it. 
There's now an English translation patch for the Sega Saturn Japanese-only game Linkle Liver Story. And while that's a terrible name for a game, um, this is a pretty interesting story overall, and I'm a little embarrassed to say that I didn't know anything about any of this until somebody emailed me the link. Linkle Liver Story is the successor to the game Crusader of Senti, which is kind of like A Link to the Past, but for Sega Genesis. I didn't even know that a game existed, or maybe if I did, somebody spun it to me as an RPG, where I really just like adventure-style games, not so much RPGs. Um, and I, so I have never even played that one yet, and now Linkle Liver Story is kind of the successor, so the natural progression on the Sega Saturn. And any excuse to use my Saturn uh, is always something I'm excited about. So, um, I mean, this, you know, this thing kind of hit me for two reasons. Selfishly, because, you know, why did I not know about a Genesis Link to the Past style game? But also, this is exactly why I love ROMs and ROM hacking. I see all the time romhacking.net posting translations, even to simple things like Afterburner. And I don't, I mean, I don't want to sound cheesy. I know I probably always sound silly saying this, but I do love it when I see the world become a smaller place and things like this. So kids of all ages of, you know, of every country and every language can experience them the same way we did. And even if it's just little things like the start menu and, uh, you know, and controls in Afterburner, or if it's pretty huge things like a whole bunch of people being able to experience something that only Japanese readers would be able to understand, it's a big deal. So while uh, I'll get off my high horse in a minute, I just... I love this. The, all translations like this are really important, and I, I really appreciate when people take the time to do it, regardless of if it's for a game that I love or something I would never play. It always makes me happy to see these. So a huge thank you to the team that did this. And a question for you guys. Which one do I play first? Do I play Crusader of Senti on the Genesis? Is it really linked to the past style? Or is it very RPG-esque? Um, do I jump right into Linkle Liver Story with the translation? Um, let me know in the comments. I'd love to hear what people think. Well, time to step off my high horse from that last topic and put on my eye patch and pirate hat because the Wii Shop is now about to close. Um, this really stinks for everybody because that means if you have a Wii with legally purchased games on it and that Wii dies, there's no way to get those games back once the Wii Shop is closed. You have to pirate them to get the game that you paid for. Um, on top of that, of course, now the developers can't continue to sell their work and make money off of it unless they port them to a newer platform. So it stinks, and this is something that we've been talking about since the birth of digital-only games, but as we humans often do with all subjects, if it doesn't affect us right then and there, we don't make a big deal about it, uh, and sometimes even sweep it under the rug, like, oh, you're just over, you know, overreacting to it. So... Yeah, it stinks. Uh, you know, I, I'm very glad that there is a large and thorough archive of all of these things out there. Um, that way, you know, as sad, sad as this is to say, we can all pirate these so that we keep these games. Uh, I have, you know, I have every ROM for every old console, but I still buy cool new versions of it on newer consoles if they add something different, if it's not just a Sega Classics rehashing of the same exact ROM and emulator. And, you know, if, like, uh, Cave Story, I think I've bought that two or three different times. That was on the Wii Shop. And there's a whole bunch of examples like that. So, makes me sad, but, you know, I guess this really is just more proof that we do kind of need piracy for this stuff to live on. 
It looks like Verizon and Amazon are working on game streaming services, which is something that I think is going to be a lot more relevant to gamers of all kinds. Uh, you know, maybe not the hardest of hardcore gamers, but the rest of us might benefit from it. And I certainly liked what I saw when I interviewed the team from Parsec, as well as a few other things that were similar. Uh, Ray Commend did a great write-up, and he also had a few things about his own experience with it. Uh, but... The one thing I will add, uh, you know, sorry for the negativity, is, you know, it's Verizon, which Verizon's the company that expected all of us to watch NFL games on our phones instead of our TVs, and, you know, Verizon's always getting their hands in things that don't really work. Um, I also really love the picture that Digital Trends posted uh, that says um, human reaction time is around 300 milliseconds. Oh yeah? Oh yeah, Digital Trends? I know a lot of competitive gamers that would probably kick your ass for saying that. Uh, it is way faster than 300 milliseconds for professional gamers or people that really know what they're doing. Heck, I'd love to see what a musician's reaction time is. Um, good luck trying to tell John Petrucci that his, uh, his fingers don't react faster than 300 milliseconds to stuff, but I guess their point was that Theoretically, you can get it down to one millisecond of latency over a 5G connection. I also don't think that's true, but whatever. You know, it's their picture. I think Ray must have taken that, uh, inserted that picture on purpose just to get me triggered. <laughs> but overall, it's a, it's a great write-up. Um, I really, uh, you know, I enjoyed it, and I would like to see more streaming services uh, with higher quality games. And not every game requires super low latency. You know, competitive Tetris and competitive uh, fighting games, of course. But there's a ton of games out there that if they had, well, that do have many frames of lag, and it doesn't really affect anything at all. Um, so this is pretty cool, and I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to trying it out and uh, seeing what companies jump on this and if they could pull it off. Uh, my, my gamble in this one is that Verizon's not going to be able to pull it off, though. <laughs> RetroHQ just posted some updates on Twitter in regards to the Jaguar SD ROM cart project. Um, first, he has the basic 3D designs done for the cartridge, which are modeled off the Atari computer cartridges and not the Jaguar cartridges, um, which I would assume are probably much easier to print and manufacture anyway. Um, he will be releasing that 3D print design for people that want to make their own or modify it or whatever else, which I think is pretty cool. And also, he's switching from a two-layer to a four-layer PCB design and added status LEDs. So I hope, uh, I hope none of this would, uh, would slow the project down. We're pretty much getting to the three-year mark, and a lot of us have been uh, excitedly tapping our feet, waiting for it. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this. I really hope I'm able to get a, a prototype or something and do a video on it. But uh, we're, we're finally inching closer to the finish, finish line for a true Jaguar SD flash cart. Artings just posted a video that shows the results of just about a year's worth of burn-in testing on their OLED panels. And what they said kind of mimics what OLED users have been saying since the beginning. If you're doing digital signage style, where you have security cameras, a stock ticker feed, one news channel only, something where it's the same thing all day long, 24-7, you will get irreversible burn-in and, you know, essentially ruin the TV. However, any kind of mixed content, and you don't get that. You just sometimes get a little bit of image retention. Uh, I know, me personally, my Blu-ray player, when it boots up, uh, it's a black screen, and it just says OPPO in big letters, big white letters. 
So whenever I start playing whatever movie I've loaded, you kind of see the OPPO logo for 30 seconds and it goes away. So image retention's definitely there, but I that's the best TV I've ever owned. So a few seconds of image retention when going from one static screen to motion doesn't bother me in the slightest. So my personal opinion on this, if you're using a TV for multiple things, games, TV, movies, you should be fine gaming on an OLED. But if you're using it as a computer monitor, uh, so you know you always have the same bar on the bottom, or if you're only, only using it for gaming, um, maybe you're just grinding away on the same game a couple hours a day and nothing else, it, you really do open the potential for burn-in. So maybe look into one of those lower lag TVs that are really um, are now known for being great gaming TVs. But overall, I mean, I, I love my LG OLED, uh, and I'm very happy that I got it, and I love gaming on it. So uh, just as always, pick whatever is the best for your situation. Greg Collins has donated another 3D printed design to the retro gaming community. This one is his take on the GDMU 3D printed tray which this design adds an SD card extender and it sits flush on the top of the GD-ROM tray rather than recessed like some of the others. Um, the 3D print files are available right from the pre 3D print section of the website as well as instructions and anything else that you'd need. And at the moment, Greg isn't selling these himself, but whenever he does, I'll make sure to add a link to his eBay store right here on the page. So this one started out lighthearted and ended weird. Um, it started with Genovi releasing a lost and found video about games that were unreleased and thought to be lost, but then leaked to the public. It was Penn and Teller's Smoke and Mirrors, which is a game I think many of us have probably played or know the story of, but it was cool to hear Genovi's impressions on it. Uh, next is a Steven Seagal game that looked terrible, and in fact, I'd recommend watching the video just to see footage of that. And last was kind of an interesting game where it started out as one and then it got transferred to a totally uh, different title and I think some changes were made. And then as it was getting ported to different platforms, the final port never got released. So then Pico Interactive purchased the rights to that and were supposed to release it back in 2014, but that console release never, hit to, uh, never went to market. Um, even though it's, uh, it was still listed on their Kickstarter page as part of the perks. Uh, all of that, of course, is linked in the article. And here's where things get a little bit weird. Uh, so, Genovi had first contacted Pico about this, both to get their opinion on it, and uh, for positive reasons about another video he's doing, and they never responded. I, as well, had tried contacting them uh, a few times over the years, and while they did respond, I eventually just got blown off, which, you know, whatever. Sometimes people don't have time for or don't like interviews. It's fine. Um, but I'm going to tell this next part a little bit out of order just for continuity here. Uh, they did post in the video that the reason... Oh, I'll just read it. The original creator of Jim Power, the game, died in 2016, so that is the main reason why we delayed. Lots of things to figure out. So that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. The game was promised in 2014, which means you had the rights before that. So if 2016 the uh, developer died, what does that have to do with your supposed release date two years earlier and now 2019 where you still don't have the release that was promised on your Kickstarter page? Uh, definitely a communication thing that um, I, I really always look down on things like that. You know, Generally speaking, when companies are just open and honest, even people that are upset take it different rather than just you know i don't even i wouldn't even know how to interpret that statement 
And, uh, you know, everything is just speculation, I guess. But as all of this was happening, uh, Pico also was responding to some Twitter criticisms of the quality of their cartridges. And uh, the thing that always rubs me the wrong way is when people accept criticism with, uh, with vehement defense and no logic or, or calm behavior whatsoever. Um, the, my favorite reply was when he called TV Electronics uh, the article about the 3.3 volts flash, a hoax, which is kind of funny because Renee is probably one of the leading people for making sure that you could get the best quality cartridges for your games, both for the quality of the cartridge, the beveling of the edges, the correct gold contacts, and of course the correct voltage. Uh, so that very much rubbed me the right way, the wrong way, and I wrote this article, and I was probably a little too harsh. Um, and I did word few th uh, a few things wrong, which I have since changed, but uh, I decided to block Pico on Twitter because I just don't like companies that act like this. You know, if you have, you're supposed to be professional if you sell something to people, especially when you, you're talking to people that purchase your products. Um, so fast forward to today, as I'm recording this podcast, and I get not one, but two passive-aggressive uh, sort of threatening emails from Pico Interactive about this article. They were right about one thing. I did originally word it uh, where as if it sounded as if I knew that they didn't get the rights for the game. They were right about that. Uh, but that's not how the email was written. And I'm not going to put their emails public. To me, that's a strange line that I'd never feel comfortable crossing. You post on Twitter, you post on YouTube, that is public. But an email just feels different to me. But I will say, and I made sure to leave this in the article, um, that they didn't address any of the questions that anybody had brought up. They didn't talk about the build quality of their cartridges. Uh, they didn't talk about um, why we still don't have the game. The two emails that I received were simply about me using the word harassing, because I originally said they harassed people on Twitter. That was incorrect, and that was the wrong... They were right. That was not the, the word I should have used. They just acted really unprofessionally. I should have just used the word douchey. I believe while that makes me unprofessional, that is the proper way to, to talk about what they did. They acted douchey on Twitter. Um, and as a company, whatever. But um, yeah, it was very strange. Uh, I asked that they just... I, I responded very blunt and snippy because I'm really busy. I'm trying to shoot this. I have a pile of things to test here. I have another video I'm going to be shooting immediately as soon as this one's done that I hope everybody will like. I don't have time to cater to somebody being upset that they were called out on their poor behavior. Uh, so I just responded quickly. I'm sure that was too snippy for their liking. So uh, I, I got a second email from them. And uh, they were kind of passive-aggressively threatening to then write a negative article about me on their blog. Because that's real grown-up. So I, uh, you know, I'll leave all of this up to you on how you guys want to interpret this. Um, I certainly want nothing to do with Pico Interactive at all. Uh, you know, their cartridges aren't bad, but they're certainly not, not as good as they could be for very little cost and effort. Um, their unprofessional behavior is ridiculous, and the fact that they're passive-aggressively emailing me like this, uh, you know, I have no idea what to even say about that. That's so dumb and silly, and I'm the wrong person to do that to because I never back down at all. Um, so, yeah, uh, you guys interpret this however you like. 
But one question and serious question that I do have for everybody, you know, post what you think of Pico and their behavior in here. Post if, what you think of my behavior. Maybe you think I'm the one being a douchebag. Whatever. That's totally fine. I welcome all criticism as always. But what I would really love to hear is um, how, much, how much of the writer's opinion do you want in these articles? Um, I could try to tone down my opinions for these videos, but it is me. I, I have never been able to change, uh, even when I've been asked to. <laughs> I will never change the rest of my life. I'll try to tone it down in the videos uh, if you would like. But in the articles, um, you know, the written words always open to interpretation, much more so than, than videos where you could see my body language. So I understand, but, you know, there's two sides to adding opinion to an article. And I'm certainly, don't mean to throw Ray Commend under the bus here, but I really enjoyed his article about the streaming services. I would have enjoyed it uh, if it was negative, it was a positive article, but I respected his opinion, I thought it was well written, and I like to hear opinions like that. I would prefer to, as long as it's relevant, you know, I don't... I don't really care if anybody writes about their shoe size. This is a tech blog, you know, things like that. So the bottom line is, uh, as retro RGB grows, it's way bigger than any one of us, as I've always wanted it to be. I've always been Bob from retro RGB, not retro RGB. So do you want these opinions? Do you want to tone it down and be more of a tech blog? What, how does everybody feel about this? And, you know, I'm, I got to apologize in advance that I'm not going to be able to make everybody happy. There are people that are just not going to like what we do sometimes, all the time, whatever. Um, and the whole goal of always bringing you whatever's the best and the newest and the most exciting in the retro gaming world, that will never change. I just, uh, I enjoy reading people's opinions on things like this. Um, I enjoy getting to know the writers uh, through their writing, both on this and, and other uh, blogs as well. But... I really need to do what all of you would like. So uh, sorry to end the podcast on a weird note. Sorry to extend what, what originally was a minute and a half segment to almost 10 minutes. But um, as much as the whole Pico thing was annoying, uh, it's mu this is, it ends in much bigger than that. Um, how would you guys like this handled in the future? Continue to put an opinion, take it out. Why do you feel that way? And, you know, I'm uh, just really interested in what everybody has to say. So, sorry this took longer than it should have, uh, but I'm interested in everybody's opinion here. Well, that's it for this week. To any newcomers just joining this podcast in the past few weeks, I promise you this is not Real Housewives of Something Retro. Uh, I try to always keep this positive and tech-oriented, but I will never hesitate to stand up and speak my mind if I feel there's something that needs to be said, which upsets a lot of people, but I'd rather have you upset with me for what I feel is the truth than just spilling word vomit and trying to get more subscribers. Uh, that's not what we're about here. This really is just focused about the retro gaming community and trying to highlight all the amazing people that do amazing things. Um, I, made, I really meant what I said when uh, retro RGB has never been about me. It's been about all the amazing people involved. I just really love doing the podcast, which is why you're stuck seeing me more than you are the others. <laughs> So, uh, as always, thank you so much to everybody who watches, who comments, and of course to all the supporters, because these videos, as well as all of the tremendous amount of behind-the-scenes work, would never happen without you. So, uh, thank you very much for keeping this podcast going and keeping all of the amazing projects going behind the scenes, uh, which are all getting slowly released, and you will hear about it here first. So, thank you very much, and I'll see you next week.